2: Hello and welcome to another episode of Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer Podcast. I'm Sandra Rera, CBS Sports lead NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team writer, joined today by my colleague and co-host Lisa Roman. And we're also joined once again by Lori Lindsay. Uh, currently, uh NW signing list for CBS Sports. She made 31 appearances as a midfield for the United States women's national team from 2005 to 2013. And she helped the team to a 2012 London Olympics gold and earned a silver medal in the 2011 FIFA Women's World Cup. And she's back to help us recap this bronze medal match. Lisa, Lori, how are we doing today?
0: <laughs> I-, I think we're doing okay. I mean, we got a medal. So I'm, I'm happy with that, but there's so much to break down in, in this game and so much to talk about. And thank goodness we have Lori here with us to, <laughs> to give us all the dirty details from being a player at this level.
2: How are you feeling, Lori?
3: Yeah, well, I, I'm feeling great. I'm um, extremely happy for the team. And then also like... Let's continue this on because we were talking behind the scenes. Listen, the gold medal match just got postponed even longer. So
2: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're here for everybody. It's the, it's another yeah. Olympic sized episode for everyone. Uh, just a reminder, we're going to be recapping this bronze medal victory for the United States. We're going to get into the match. What does it all mean? Uh, thank you all for joining us. If you I have enjoyed our context uh, during the Olympics over the course of these last few weeks. Just a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at attacking third. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere you can listen to your shows. And uh, let's 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 get into it. Let's we we did I think a pretty good job. I think in the last episode we we set the table right. Mm-hmm. We were talking about all sorts of things leading into this bronze medal match. We talked about how the United States got to this point. We touched a bit on Australia and how they got to this point. We took a deeper dive once again into that sort of zero zero draw that they had to close out that final group play. And we had a lot of questions of how this match was going to look or possibly feel for both of these teams on each side of the ball. And, uh, in true bronze metal fashion, I think we got a little bit of a, Hey, screw it. It's the final match and let's, uh, (laughs) let's bring it all in. Uh, we also talked a lot about maybe some of the missing parts that were going to come into play for both of these sides. United States and missing somebody like Alyssa Nair for Australia missing somebody like Ellie Carpenter we were curious how this final starting 11 was going to look uh, for the United States so let me give us the rundown who got tagged with the start, and then you both can hit me with your uh, your thoughts, feelings, and opinions on those. Uh, for the United States, they round out as follows. They had Adriana France starting as goalkeeper. They had Kelly O'Hara, Becky Sauer, Tina Davidson, and Crystal Dunn to run out the back line. In the midfield, they rolled with Julie Ertz, Sam Mewis, Lizzie Horan, and to close out the front line, they had Kristen Press, Carly Lloyd, and Megan Rapino. Laurie, I'm going to go to you first on this one, okay? For this starting eleven, can you walk me through maybe what you were thinking the team needed to look like going into this match? And then what were your reactions when you saw this starting eleven, particularly that attacking line? Yeah, well, we even talked
3: about this the last episode, too. And this is not, I don't think the front line that we expected for sure. I don't think we thought Carly or or Megan Rapino would get the the nod. Um, but seeing Kirsten Presson there was, um, I think, what was expected as well. Um, but, you know, and, and a big shout out to Tina Davidson coming in um, in the matches that she played um, and then getting the start in this bronze medal um, is massive, I think, for her development and going forward because she's going to be an integral part um, of that back line, at least I suspect, um, in in the future. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think we needed – exactly what we saw to start this game some excitement some um, fresh legs some um, two players in particular with Carly Lloyd and Meg Rampino. even though I was thrilled to see them in the starting lineup I didn't think I would expect that just the way the rotation had gone and um you know how I thought Blacko was going to line this team up but those are two players have been clutch throughout their entire um, careers to score big goals and they um (laughs) they uh you know, they delivered quite frankly. and um, and then the midfield, listen, still not, I don't think what we expected. those are three with Ertz, um, Samuels and Lindsay Haran, three that we had seen in there um, quite often. But in terms of like what I wanted to see more, which is a bit more of keeping the rhythm and um, dictating the tempo, we still didn't see it, but um, enough pressing, enough of the job getting done to to solidify the bronze, really. To sum
2: it up. Yeah. Lisa, in terms of like this starting 11, I want you to hit me with like maybe some defensive thoughts. Right. With your experience, sort of locking things down in the back. What what were you looking for from the back line in, the, in this match? And like, were you satisfied in sort of seeing this this back four in front of French when you saw the 11 drop? Uh,
0: yes. I mean, we've talked about it, Sandra and I, throughout this Olympics of the back line for Vlaco in the United States. And he's made changes and he's rotated players in. But each time I come back to Tierna Davidson, she needs to be back there. Her partnership with Becky Sauerbronn is, is really good. They have a good relationship that really balances each other out. And, and Dunn and O'Hara on the flanks, um, out wide in the back. They've been consistent throughout this tournament. Um, O'Hara has, she's let me down at some points. So I'm not going to lie. Um, and I think that Australia did put a lot of pressure on her throughout this game. Um, in this bronze medal match. But overall, I think it was a a good matchup. And I know that Tierna Davidson has had a lot of fingers pointed at her based on how that Canada game went down and the penalty kick that was called um, on her. But she's the youngest player on this team on the field for the United States at 22, which isn't even all that young. And as Lori said, she is the Potential future of this back line. And I believe she will be the future of this back line. So to get her all of this experience in this Olympic tournament alongside a player like Becky Sauerbronn, who has a tremendous career at the international level and has so much leadership and can truly pass that along to her partner in that center back position is huge. And then of course, Julia, is sitting in front. Um, what, she didn't play 30 minutes of this entire Olympics or 45 minutes of this entire Olympics. And it, she proved why. we need The United States needs her on the field throughout this run and throughout this stretch. She locks it down defensively and she just finds those pockets to pick it off. But Lori, you're right, the cohesion in the midfield really wasn't there. We, we, we were waiting for it to come throughout this entire Olympics. And even today, we saw small, small lights of, of connection and cohesion and rhythm to connect in that midfield. But it wasn't a full game of it. Um, but overall, a better effort. They got a win. They got a big win, four goals in the back of the net. So, hey, that's good enough, right? It's good enough for the bronze. I mean, you know,
2: <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to express some joy here on this episode. I'm not going to act like we're not, we're going to express joy um, in the fact that this, this was a bronze medal victory for the team. But I think, you know, in the spirit of how we've been covering these Olympics, there's going to be room for us to talk about that, that kind of stuff. And in, and in this first half uh, things got off to a very, very quick start uh, (laughs) for this team. Uh, We're talking about a breakthrough opening goal in the opening eight minutes and uh it comes by way of megan Rapino in like one of the most elite fashion like type of goal that you can get she's she's runs over to the corner on a set piece and and provides what's supposed to be service and ends up getting an olympico in the <laughs> olympics and of the course. ball yeah this ball just bends into uh internet and they're off and running they're off and running and uh even prior the lead up to that goal, quite frankly, it just, the team just looked a little bit different or maybe a little bit more familiar, depending on how you're, what type of eye you're watching this uh, this team with, because I think, again, we've been talking about it all Olympics. um, That sort of very familiar high press uh, intense attacking style type of team that, sort of element has kind of gone missing a little bit throughout this Olympic games. Uh, when you guys watch that Galori, when you're, when you're looking at a goal like that, mm-hmm. that early in the game, what does that do for your team in, in a, in a metal game?
3: <laughs> well, I think in general, it is like, you're like, hell yes. It's like yeah. some pressure, right? You get momentum, especially because I think, you know, we haven't talked a lot about, or I, I, you two um, potentially have, but I think the U S thrives on goals. They thrive on what you just said, Sandra, like high pressing energy, right? You get that from fans. And I saw during the game, actually like a picture after Megan went to line up for that corner kick. And I'm like, is this like a, a manufactured photo? I'm like, what is happening here? Because honestly, there's no one else you can see in the photo. It's Megan about to line up and the way that the angle is, all you see is the assistant referee and then everything else is completely empty, right? And I think that that alone has to be expressed too on how difficult this is for these teams and playing in front of these empty stadiums as well, especially a, a US team. But when you're not doing that, yes, after not scoring many goals, which the U.S. is so accustomed to doing, um, to get off on the front front against, um, I'll show you knowing that they have the ability to score goals. We saw that in this game. Awesome. And to score it like um, Megan did, Olympico, as you mentioned, um, is massive, right? It's massive in terms of alleviating pressure and also just like um, igniting that joy that we've all been talking about that seems, or the cohesion that seems to have been missing. So.
0: Yeah. And uh, alleviating that pressure also coming from the Matildas, we mentioned the start of this game and it was fast paced. It was high intensity. There was pressing all over the field and the Matildas, they, they were putting a lot of pressure on the United States. It was pretty even, I want to say for the first five minutes of just teams figuring out where their opponents were, the matchups on the field going against their uh, opponents that they were battled up with one v one. And to get this goal within the first 10 minutes, on a set piece opportunity does change the game because it was a set piece opportunity. And those were corner kicks and set pieces that the United States haven't been drawing in their attacking third throughout this Olympic games. They were getting into their attacking end, but not getting the ball over over the end line to draw those corner kicks and get those opportunities. And when you are creating so many chances in a high intensity moment like that, every player on the field, as soon as that ball went in, they were like, (laughs) <laughs> yes. But they looked, they were like, wait, this, it just happened so quickly because the game was moving at such a fast pace. And then bam, back of the net. Um, their facial expressions were amazing. It was like, what? Yes. It was hilarious mm-hmm. to watch them change on the camera.
2: Yeah, no, it was, It we talked about that a little bit. I mean, Laurie specifically, you were like, we need to see the joy. We need to see the passion. Mm-hmm. And I think to have that type of goal kind of kick things off and set things in motion. It really does sort of, uh, again, set the table for things for sure. Uh, But it was, this first, this first half in particular was incredibly, incredibly quick, fast paced back and forth type of tempo. I mean, we're talking about Australia getting an equalizer, just, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe like 10 minutes later, I believe this goal happened in the eighth minute. And then Australia's equalizer happened in the 16th. So it was like end to end really. And and we were talking about her all last episode as well. Sam Kerr comes up with this equalizer and let's, let's, let's talk about how this comes to light. This is not to take away against uh, Sam Kerr and her ability on the ball. We know how lethal she is. We, <laughs> we've we seen her scoring goals quite frankly, all over the world in different leagues um, and doing it for Australia on on the big stage in a big moment like this. Uh, Lisa, defensively, let's talk a little bit about how this equalizer came to life. Uh, bit of a poor decision from from Davidson. Uh, you got to call that out and, and see it like you see it. Uh, but honestly, also... Maybe a question of, of how savable a shot like this is for, for a goalkeeper once it does get past, you know, your defenders. Your a, a goalkeeper is essentially the last line of defense, right? So you're looking at those those sort of things, and those are questions that we we raise up. But what did you kind of see on this and this breakdown or, or miscommunication and on this equalizer?
0: Yeah, this equalizer did come from a mistake, and actually the next goal did as well. There was a few mistakes happening defensively all over the pitch, but this one was just – Bad passing and bad angles between the center back duo of Tierna Davidson and Becky Sauerbron. Um It was the mistake from Davidson trying to pass it over to Sauerbron and not realizing that she had high pressure from Australia waiting right there to jump on this. And then as soon as Australia does pick up the ball and they start to move quickly, they didn't have too too much yards to cover, too many yards to go before they were Right in front of the goal mouth, and I, I believe AD French gets a hand on this um, as it goes towards the net. She does try to save it, but it's it's a mistake on both ends—the defensive end and even the goalkeeping end. Um, I, I think French was a little caught off guard at how it came to her because her team did have the ball that Tierna and uh, mm-hmm. Becky Sauerbaum were looking to pass and play out of the back, not expecting this quick transition, but hey, that's what Australia does when they pick up the ball. And none other than Sam Kerr, who's able to get this finish, um, which is exactly what she does. It was really a brilliant finish from Sam Kerr Kerr on a really nice through ball from her. Um, But the fact that French did get a touch on it makes me think that she could have gotten more. Um, I think she was off balance on the save as it came in. But the mistake, that can't happen. Especially what 10 minutes after the United States goes up, that's when – this United States team needs to be so tuned in and so turned on to the game at hand and what's happening, and looking to keep building on that momentum, um, not allow a, another team to switch and, and change the gears of the game at that point. Um, but yeah. a, again, like congrats to Sam Carr because it's it was a really well finished shot, and they stayed in this game throughout the entire ninety minutes. Australia never backed down.
2: Yeah, I mean they, at, Lori, United States though. <laughs> This first half ridiculous. They they came right back. Yeah. We're four minutes later. Yeah. And Megan Rupino having a game. Yeah. In, oh, totally. Up until this point immediately gets the team the go-ahead goal in the 20th minute. You're talking mm-hmm. just, just four minutes after Australia gets this equalizer mm-hmm. from Sam Kerr. And this this you, you don't you don't imagine that uh you can connect on goal somehow better than an Olympico. Mm-hmm. But here comes Megan Rapinoe with a clinical finish and just slots this ball away in the 20th minute to give the United States a lead once again. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what What's your breakdown <laughs>
3: on that goal? For, for uh, she lives for these moments, let's be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen, uh, I've known Meg for a long time. We've been close, close friends for... Um, the same amount of time that we've known each other, and like, listen, the joke used to be that Megan was like checked out during training. This is early in her career, right? She's um, developed as a professional quite a bit, um, but um, yeah, she's a gamer, right? This is what she lives for. She lives for the limelight. She lives for these moments, and she's going to find um, ways to carry this team when when needed. And that was this game, and she came up huge. And the same with Carly Lloyd. I think the 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 biggest eye opener for me is when Carly Lloyd scored her first goal too, is that was her first goal of this tournament. How outrageous that is um, for somebody who just set the record, I think, for uh, most goals um, in a tournament in the, for the U.S. So it's, it is, I think that just puts a little bit in perspective on like the wild ride this tournament has been. But, um, you know, just side note, going back to what Lisa was saying, that is a savable goal. A.D. French would know that the n- number one rule is a goalkeeper. You don't get beat near post. She got beat near your post, right? Regardless of how quickly it comes. And Tierna Davidson, clean up what you're doing back there because she's world-class and there's a few mistakes that are being made. But with those two players in particular, not a ton of minutes in this type of environment, it really needed. And I, I say that because they are going to be barring any sort of like anything that I don't know with AD French or injuries or whatever, they have a real potential to start to make, um, ha- have a lot of minutes with this team. Right. And they're going to lead the this US national team going forward. So really important minutes and experience. And at the same time, um, I say that because the other two at the other end with Carly and Megan, you have that buffer to know, Hey, listen, yeah, we made these mistakes. Here we go though. We're going to come up huge get the equalizer immediately after they um, or get the go-ahead goal immediately after Sam Kerr and Australia have um, scored the equalizer and then Carly Lloyd as well put in two away so you have that buffer right and that's what it's all about is having each other's backs and um, being able to know that if you
0: do make mistakes hell yeah we got you on the other end <laughs> yeah and, and the mistakes from Davidson and French were mental completely like you said world-class players that didn't have enough experience so those mental lapses that's I mean, yeah, but if you can lean on players like Megan Rapinoe and Carly Lloyd, and I know we talked about this in our starting lineups, um, that it was not exactly what we were expecting to see or hoping to see, but you have to give it to them. These are players that know how to show up in big moments, and that's exactly what they did today. I thought of that after uh, Rapinoe scored that second goal. I was like, everyone has been doubting her and saying, why is she getting the start? And she's older veteran player. Why is she on this team? She doesn't look as good as she has in years past, which I'm not denying that. She obviously has aged a little <laughs> bit, but-, <laughs> but she gets two goals. Like Players, mm-hmm. players, you know,
2: Hey, turning it on, turning it off. Uh, yeah, A good balance there, I guess, in, well. terms of, <laughs> in terms of this first half, for sure. And, and congrats to Carly Lloyd. She, and she, you know, she did get that that goal to close out the first half, uh, a big goal in a number of ways. I mean, again, we were talking about how this game was so back and forth, very, very open in this first half. And then it's a much different feeling if you're Australia, right. Heading into halftime Mm -hmm. in a very open match down Mm -hmm. two to one versus being down three to one, uh, Mm -hmm. going in, going into halftime. So Carly Lloyd coming through huge, uh, with that, with that, sort of first half ending goal, uh, making a bit of history. Uh, she, she beat the, she beat Abby one back out for, for the top, uh, United States women's national team goal scorer in the Olympics with, with her 10th goal. So it's, it's a, it's a hell of a statement to sort of close out, uh, your, your first half there and you gotta be feeling good, right? I think mm-hmm. going into, uh, the halftime break, uh, in a bronze medal match up three one with, you know 45 to go and playing you know as as well as you are even with maybe the the very early kind of uh mental lapse on uh, the defensive side i things, it's an opportunity to maybe you know hit the brakes and acknowledge that for mm-hmm. a second um and we're gonna hit the brakes and acknowledge <laughs> our hydration <laughs> break for a second uh, we've been doing it all olympics caffeine checks checking in with each other let's hydrate cheers and we'll talk about this second half
1: Visit roberthalf.com today.
2: All right, let's get into the second half. Believe it or not, there were more goals to be (laughs) had in this match. If you're uh, just joining us, just waking up, uh, let's let's walk you through it. Let's get into all of these uh, remaining goals. Uh, No immediate substitutions, right, in this second half. Uh, Not something that's been uncommon for this team. Uh, We have seen head coach Flacco Adonofsky, make a number of rotations, make a number of substitutions throughout the entire Olympics. Uh, but nothing, I think, in this in this match up until this point maybe signaled like, hey, we should absolutely be making immediate uh, halftime substitutions. Um, and, of course, it it paid off <laughs> once again because we've got five minutes uh, into this second half you're talking about Carly Lloyd, uh, also saying, hey, you know, it's not just Megan Rapino who's going to be walking away uh, with a brace on this day. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get involved here too. And she extends the lead some more for the United States. and makes it four one for Team USA uh, in the fiftieth minute. Uh, Lori, again, we're talking about what these type of goals do for a team and their mentality in big games like this. uh, What is, what is a moment like that starting off the second half already with the lead extending it even more uh, a duel for the teams to help you settle in a little bit more, or does it still like kind of get you amped up and make you want to go after things? Yeah, I think
3: both. I think one, it does amp you up. I think we saw the um, jubilation on um, Carly's Carly's face and what that meant to her personally. Right. And then also, because I mean, she's about scoring goals, She knows if she's scoring goals, regardless of what the rest of the 90 minutes or however long she's playing, she is doing her job up there and and putting teams under pressure. And also, I think, um, yes, it does give you a little breathing room because, as as I'm sure we'll get into in a second, there will be more goals from um, (laughs) – from Australia so and I also think in this tournament and and potentially going forward um, regardless of how good we are defensively listen like this is an Australian team who you know years past I think for a lot of teams it would be like all right four to one deficit against the US is like there's no way we can come back right but as we saw in this game, it was a lot tighter as this game went on than um, I think anybody wanted. But um, the reality is teams are getting better and they're becoming and they're finding ways and we're finding we're seeing even more prolific goal, goal scorers come about. And so, um, yes, it does give you some breathing room, but also it is like, hell, yeah, because it gives us a buffer in case what we see happens and um, close calls or, or actually goals being scored. Um it's difficult when you have that many goals ahead um, for teams to actually come back, even though yeah. it was close.
2: Lisa, Australia <laughs> gets another goal just three minutes later. You're talking about the United States again, coming off on the front foot, getting a goal in the opening five minutes of the second half. And like Laurie said, it's doing a couple different things for, for the team, but Australia comes back just 3 minutes later and i mean a, a good a good goal like another goal where it exposes some things defensively you got Caitlin ford connecting on a header and it's making things a little interesting for the second half as she cuts into the lead for australia and makes it 4-2 what's going on on this goal defensively
0: Well, a a lot of times when teams go up, uh, like Laurie just mentioned, you go up, you're down three as an Australian side against this United States team. You can get deflated, but honestly, it fired up the Matildas. They were whipping crosses in. They were getting chances in the box. They were putting the United States defense under a lot of pressure that they were – Handling, okay, Um, but as soon as this cross came in and you saw Caitlin Ford, she actually had to reach back for this one. The ball came in behind her, which makes this header and this goal even that much more remarkable to see. Um, Immediately, Australia just attacking, attacking the United States and not giving up and not letting down. This goal was really big for Australia because now they just – essentially they put it put them ahead one more so now it's only two down behind the United States and after this second goal happened I believe it was like the 54th minute Sandra maybe 55th you're Mm -hmm. you're a good stat stat woman over there with the minutes um (laughs) but after this happened Australia almost had another one they had Sam Kerr with a really good really good opportunity off the post I don't even know how that didn't go in
3: That was one of my favorite opportunities of this tournament, actually. That that ball from Rosso was um, on the dime. Whipped in. in. I was like, that's amazing. I
0: I don't understand how that didn't go in. And A.D. Franch is thanking that post right there because it could have. It was literally millimeters away from going in because it bounced off the one post and went across the mouth of the goal all the way to the other post before being cleared out by the United States. And the look on Sam Kerr's face after that was like, how, how no, did that kidding. not go in? Yeah. <laughs> and I, think
3: same. She, I think she knew that too, that that was the difference maker. Right. Cause like mm-hmm. if that goes in, then that changes the course oh again, in terms of swinging momentum consistently. Um, I'll show you being able to put more pressure um, and, and just again, like what we've been talking about is like the belief right against these teams. Like that will be, that is the biggest challenge for the U S now is like teams aren't fearing them in terms of mentality and like fitness and yeah. these teams can attack too. So there's some, there's some differences here in terms of belief um, with a lot of these teams now.
2: It's I'm almost curious too, if, if that goal for Kerr, if that opportunity for a goal does uh, for Kerr does translate into a goal like just two minutes after that Ford goal. Like you're talking about two quick goals back-to-back right after the United States uh, extend their lead to four. And you're talking about a 4-3 game potentially at that moment and what that looks like and what that means and and what that maybe presents to the coaching staff really for for the United States because even though it didn't go in and this match was still 4-2 at this point, um, we did start to see some adjustments being made for both for both sides of the ball uh, right around the hour mark. So while the Matildas were making their substitutions, uh, you had uh, Roosevelt come into the game, Topin Heath come into the game uh, right at the hour mark. So I'm a little cur- like a little curious about you know how much of it was planned versus how much of it was uh, momentum and, and the and the mm-hmm. tempo of the game uh, at this mm-hmm. point because they're they're coming on for for. Sam Mewis and they're coming on for, for Megan Rapino again who yeah. at this point is having herself a game um, yeah. in this match. Uh so I was I'm a little curious, you know, about yeah. about that uh, type of stuff. But this even though that opportunity doesn't cross the line uh for the Matildas, it still remained a pretty, pretty active game. I think yeah. at points of this second half, it sort of felt like either one of these teams could get another goal. And obviously if it would have been the United States, it would have been a little bit of cementing some things. But if you're Australia, if you do get that, that third goal, it it can change up everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Looking ahead deeper into maybe the final 15 uh, of this, of this match, you've got a four, two lead at the moment. Things are feeling pretty good. I think if you have a two goal lead, in the final 15 minutes, right, even if it is a pretty open and wild game, uh, maybe you're going to shift things around and try to lock things down uh, defensively uh, and try to organize things. And we started to see some tactical changes uh, mm-hmm. there towards the end. Right. We started to see the the, the five back uh, from the United States and to, in an effort to to sort of close things out. Uh, but. In true bronze medal Olympic fashion, that doesn't happen. We were talking in the 89th minute, Australia gets a goal. And all of a sudden, it's 4-3 in this match. And you're saying, oh, no. Oh, no.
3: (laughs)
0: Close out a game, United States.
2: (laughs) actually i
3: think i i messaged you all about like what time we we're coming on to this and then i was like actually i shouldn't have hit send because like we're like five minutes away and like who the hell knows what's gonna happen so yeah. like who even knows that this is going into overtime or what so delete <laughs> delete that message
2: <laughs> that's that's what did it we're gonna put it on <laughs> yeah lori provided the uh the catalyst for chaos it was it was delicious uh 89th minute uh the, re- the officials signal that there's going to be four minutes of, of stoppage time. That's a lot of time in a game like this. Um, and then on top of that, unfortunately, uh, we saw Alex Morgan uh, come off of uh, the pitch with an injury. And this, on top of the four minutes of stoppage time, it the official takes note of additional injury time. So it's a, it's a very frantic sort of close like closing final minutes uh, of this game. But the United States hang on and are able to walk away on this day as a uh, bronze medal victors. And I think uh, for now, for this first part of this next segment of what does this all mean? Right. As we're sort of taking a look at the Olympics as a whole for now, um, in terms of the uh, silver linings, let's say in terms of the, the positive aspects, uh, Lori Walking out of this tournament with a bronze medal for this team considering how they started what what does that mean for this team
3: oh it's massive i mean i think listen like anytime you can medal in a olympics th- these tournaments aren't easy i mean it seems like they, they're smooth sailing a lot of the times i think because we've been so dominant the u.s has been so dominant in every single tournament really right i mean the amount of medals this team has won is will never be, never be matched. And it's, it's quite, um, remarkable. Um, however, as we're seeing competition is, is growing. It's, um, the parody is tightening. And so it's just, which is amazing for the sport. Um, but for this team, for the way that as fans, as people who love this sport, as people who've been close to the team, Whether we played on the team or not, it is to get a bronze medal is massive, especially with the way that this tournament has gone. I mean, as we're all saying, thank goodness this term is over. Yes, we have a gold medal match, but goodness gracious, get us out of here because it has been a wild ride. And and quite frankly, we're all tired. And so are the players. But (laughs) listen we know it hasn't been the best soccer for the U S so to, to come out, turn around um, after playing a semifinal, you don't want to go home without anything less than a gold, but then have to play for a bronze medal. That is not easy. That might sound ridiculous, but it is not. It is tough to turn the switch to have to like get yourself pumped back up um, after a team that you've already played against. So massive credit to this team to come out. um, And I have some additional thoughts, but I'll leave that for the next part of this, this, um,
2: this Lisa talk was this game everything you had hoped for and <laughs> uh, do you believe what a lofty question Sandra. I mean and do, I mean but do you believe that uh, you know even though this wasn't the uh, gold medal game that they had had their sights on uh, is this something that the team can sort of look back and hang their head on because I mean let's let's be frank I mean when we're comparing teams you know, there was a certain, there's a certain level of expectation for this type of team. And in 2016, the headlines were that they fell short. I mean, it was, it was epic. It was huge. It was something that had never happened. They walked away from the 2016 Rio games without a medal. And, uh, here they are in the Tokyo games. Uh, and again, they had set their sights on a gold, but they're walking away with a bronze medal, uh, from a tournament that was not easy for them. And they can look back and say, you know, we achieved something that we were unable to achieve in the real games.
0: Okay, Sandra, you are finding the silver linings and I really appreciate that. I really do. And this game was better than anything we had seen throughout this Olympic tournament. And over the last six games, this was the United States' best one. However, it's still not the team that this team has traditionally been Um, against this against Australia. And in this matchup, they were passing sharper. They were playing a lot quicker. One, two touches only on the ball and immediately getting the ball out from under their feet, finding their passes, whipping them in. It was cleaner play all over the pitch, especially on the defensive side and the high press from the forwards. That was the high energy and the high intensity showed more of the joy that we hadn't seen from this United States team throughout this Olympic stretch. And it's really hard to judge for me if this was a game, a good game for them, because honestly, it wasn't the best game from them that I've seen. But when you compare it to the way they've played previously over the last two weeks, yes, it was much better compared to Rio. When you look at the grand scheme of things, yes, they're leaving with a medal and a bronze medal. And although the competition across the world and internationally is getting better, which is tremendous for the league, the leagues and for the sport overall, that's huge. But the United States is still a very good team. There's so much talent in this country that they need to really be building on and continue to grow. And the fact that They've been at the top for so long. Um, I, I wasn't sure that they realized how close behind their opponents were right on their backs leading into this Olympic tournament. So we saw better things against Australia. We saw much better things, a cleaner game, a more concise game, a more high energy game from this United States team. But there is so much going forward that I'm sure we'll talk about because I want to hear Lori's thoughts on this, but things are different. It, the fan base cannot expect certain things anymore from this team and they can't expect themselves to just waltz out onto the field and do it, which I don't think they did that by any means heading into this, but it's still uh, a harsher look at this team and this game and this Olympic tournament. But yes, they are leaving with a medal, a bronze one, but Hey, it's a medal. Let's uh,
2: let's, let's stay on, on this uh, comparison for just <laughs> a, a quick second because you know, I, I, for people who are, coming into this Olympics for the first time because that happens in an international tournaments. International tournaments mm-hmm. generate a lot of buzz, a lot of interest, and a lot of people make their introduction into supporting certain teams uh, within big moments like this. So for people who are unfamiliar uh, what when that 2016 elimination happened it was it was huge. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely... Uh, dominating the headlines and I will remind us and any, anyone else who needs it. But I remember a lot of some of the conversation exiting that Olympics was similar to some of the things that we were seeing within this Olympics as it was still going on. I mean, I remember even in 2016 where people were telling Megan that she was old and didn't need to be there. Uh, you know, I mean, this is, and this is four years ago. You know what I mean? Uh, So there's still this narrative that's there. Uh, You know, they were telling Carly Lloyd the same thing. They were saying they were, you know, uh, Heather O'Reilly was named as an alternate uh, for that roster uh, in in light of some of the conversations that were being had about that, about the team and wanting to maybe start a quote-unquote turnover and, like, looking ahead to the 2019 uh, World Cup and stuff like that. So here we are. And a lot of that conversation was happening, was ongoing during this tournament. It wasn't even, people weren't even waiting for this Olympics to be over. Quite mm-hmm. frankly, it was happening right when they suffered that three zero loss uh, against Sweden in that opening Olympic uh, group match. So in terms of staying in this sort of uh, time frame in these similar narratives, I mean, we're here in the Tokyo games, Lori, is this still uh, the same perspective that people should be having? Is it, is it still, is it normal? Is it, does it make sense to maybe take a look at these last two Olympics? Not just, not just this one. And then say, mm-hmm. yeah, there maybe needs to be some different looks as this tournament comes to a close and then a coaching staff looks ahead to the 2023 World Cup?
3: Well, listen, I everyone is going to have everyone's going to talk right the bigger this game gets especially on the women's side the more people are going to chime in especially every four years and have their opinion this person needs to go and regardless if you have if you played at this level or not and you just think you have a, a the better perspective than anybody which is no it's fine that's amazing right oh you yeah. know okay great well, let's let's listen to you yeah. um and obviously, you you being universally, um, not you two or anybody that we actually value their opinion. But um, so, <laughs> but however, um, great, yeah, you, that's what you want. And like you know, what's what's hilarious is that in 2016, then we saw what the the team did in 2019. Megan, in particular, um, becoming FIFA World Player of the Year from her basically carrying that team. So you know, and people I think forget that Megan had come right off of an ACL injury in 2016. And then, um, and then fast forwarding to here. Yes. I mean, listen, these conversations are always going to, if your team, if the team that you care about isn't playing or performing to the, the level that you feel like they are, then yes, you're going to start pointing fingers. I think what's important though, is this isn't just, yes, we can start naming off everyone's ages and we all know, right. We all know that, yes, they're probably there. There needs to be some turnover. Listen, this it's like, the cycles are going to start to probably shrink more and more because the level of um, competition is becoming that much tighter. And to play at this level for the amount of years that we've seen is, is more and more challenging because it's just athletically, it is, um, it's, it's, it's going to become um, tighter and tighter, right? And the more games you see at the club level, it's just a more wear and tear on the bodies. However, I think it's important to remember that Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapino in particular, that a lot of fingers are being pointed at as like, oh, older players, they didn't even start the game against um, Sweden, okay? So we're talking collectively as a unit, this is not been <laughs> the best tournament as a whole for the U.S., right? Players that we expected, Sam U.S. and Lindsay Horan, right? Um, Crystal Dunn that we expected um, to have some, like, bigger impacts, right? Didn't. Now, listen, we could break that down, and I'm sure we will get into that even more on why that is. We're not just going to say, hey, you didn't perform well, um, I think tactically there's some things that are involved um, and why that didn't bring out the best attributes in, in players. Um, however, this isn't like, this is a smaller roster and we were shell shocked against yeah. the the Sweden team. And quite honestly, clearly it was difficult for them to bounce back from that. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think
2: it's an important point that you, that you make in bringing that up because I, it just, I don't think that that's, And I'm not sure if that's discussed enough, actually, it's because it's just it's just true. I don't know what it is about the Olympics, Mm -hmm. um, but for some reason it is. It just looks uh, because we're the ones watching it at this point, not playing in it, uh, but it just looks and I'm sure for the players feels uh, like a much harder tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, than the World Cup. and we hear that a lot coming out of this. I don't know if it's just the fact that it's fewer teams that are able to compete. It's much more difficult to to qualify for a tournament that has only twelve teams in it, um, mm-hmm. going for three medals, um, and then just the very quick turnaround in between games, leading into knockout rounds with the same exact quick turnaround. Um, it's just a very, very hard competition uh, to compete in. Um, so that being said, I would like both of you to, to weigh in on this and Lisa, I'll have you go first in light of all that. Right. Cause I know this is the fun stuff where we talk about, we try to break down like what comes next and this and that, but I, I think we got to maybe take a moment to maybe try to find these, these bright spots for either of you, because we also hear about this coming out of tournaments about breakout players and players who have like big games and big, big moments, uh, who is it on this United States women's national team in this competition that we can maybe look at and point at and say, OK, you, you're having you had a strong showing in this type of tournament or, or you or you got next? Uh, who, who, who is that or who could that possibly be uh, for for either of you? Lisa, I'll have you go first.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question, Sandra. No wonder we put you in the seat to ask the questions. Dang. We're going to need you to answer this too, Sandra. So all right. get- yeah, 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 yeah. We're, okay, we're so turning this fair. around on you. <laughs> that's sure. fair. So uh, there were certain players that did stand out to me. I think Alyssa Nair had a very good tournament before her injury. Um She did have a very good tournament. She kept this United States team in games more so than if someone else was in there. And that's not to say anything about A.D. French because she also had a big role to fill. But I think Alyssa Neyer was a player that um, came into this tournament very prepared and very ready to put this team on her back and and keep them in games, um, which she did. Another player that we actually didn't see against Australia, but I believe has a very bright future with this squad and this team from the glimpses that we saw was Lynn Williams. Um, when she came in and she could provide the pressure up top and the darting runs in behind. Um, we talked about this a little bit. I believe it was just us three. I don't even think it was on air, but seeing her in that nine position in that center striker forward position could be really big for this team moving forward. And that's a tactical adjustment, um, Lori, that that you touched on that maybe needs to change for this team and this squad. And that goes to show that the coaching staff can't just continue to play the same tactical formational play that they did under Jill Ellis and maybe things do need to change. Um, And, and with a player like Carly Lloyd in there, no, you're not going to see Lynn Williams in that nine because that's Carly Lloyd's bread and butter. And she, she won't be as dangerous if she's out on the wings, but for Lynn Williams, when she got her moments um, we saw it, a goal and an assist from her in, in the game that she played, but she's a player that I think could do a lot for the future of this team in, in her mindset and her, energy and her effort that she brings on both sides of the ball. She needs to be a little bit more clinical in certain things. And now I'm just nitpicking here, but those are my two players. I think that really stood out to me uh, throughout this tournament and looking forward, despite everything else that was happening. I'm I'm really trying to find the diamonds in the roughs here in in a sense of it. Um, Lori, for you.
2: It's a tough question that I ask. (laughs) I understand. uh, But Lori, do you uh, echo similar (laughs) sentiments? Do you have anyone else that stood out for you?
3: Yeah, for sure. I do have a couple, um, you know, I think you're everyone's exact. We're all in agreement here that it is a little bit difficult to say like, Hey, here's a standout performance when there weren't that many. Right. Um, in this tournament. However, um, I think going back to what I said about Tiana Davidson, this is valuable minutes for her. Right. And like, no, is she a young, young player? Absolutely not. And she's been on these rosters. Right. But to get this amount of minutes to, um, to At this international level, I really believe she will be a starting center back for this team, and I would still like to see her in that number six role at some point in time as well. I've been saying that for um, what close to a year now and what that could look like as um, a different type of six than a Julie Ertz. Um, however, I'm not sure we're going to see that right now because she seems to be solidified in that center back spot. Um, so I think regardless of you know the mistake today, um, I feel like she is resilient and um, is a bright future. Also, I don't think we can underestimate how important it is that these 22 players, the four were elevated to an actual 22 player roster because Katarina Macario, um, the experience that she would be getting outside of the few minutes that she played in terms of how players are handling, the adversity in this tournament um, the preparation between each, ma- each matches um, to be able to look to these older players um, regardless of stepping on the field that much will be invaluable because there's no doubt that she is a bright talent going forward and um, she will be needed in years to come. So uh, I, again, we didn't see her much on the field, yeah. but behind the scenes, I guarantee she was soaking it up and, the, there'll be moments that will stick with her.
0: Yeah, and yeah, there's I'm, so much to learn when you're not on the field, like a player like that, even watching in post-game media availability with these players and what they're saying and how they're responding to these games is, is so big for the the mental and the maturity side of the game for her. That's a really good point, Laurie.
2: Yeah. Well, turn, yeah. Cause Turner Davidson was also one of those players that, you know, was made available, uh, you know, during some of the, the post or the pre uh, match day. Availabilities and um, that's that's a huge, that's a tall task to be kind of be asked to be one of the faces, yeah, you know, such a tough, you know, tough losses. And the, she handled it quite well. But I'm, I'm in, I'm in agreement with, with both of you. I think on the offensive side, it's somebody like a Lynn Williams, on the defensive side, it's somebody like Tierna Davidson, who I think people are going to be looking at coming out of this particular tournament. Um, and I don't think that should be overlooked. Uh, for Macario and and this experience, I mean, while she didn't get minutes on uh, a ton of minutes out on the on the pitch, so for us to be able to say like, oh, she's a she's someone we've got our eye on because of how she performed. I mean, the the jury's currently still out just because of the limited time. But um, getting these particular players in these moments is is huge. I mean, a, a huge part of getting this experience is so that when you're when you are looking ahead to sort of the next phase of this cycle, you have got players who have been involved in what's was a real pressure cooker quite mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, we heard glimpses and, and bits and pieces about that throughout uh, this tournament, the, the pressure of that. I mean, it can't be overlooked that, you know, this Olympics was an Olympics that being played through an ongoing pandemic, uh, we cannot, uh, negate that. We cannot ignore that. Um, many teams, players, uh, however you're looking at whichever side of the ball lost a year. Um, and then all of a sudden accelerated themselves to try to, you know, be ready for Mm -hmm. a tough tournament like this. So to have these young, younger players in the mix, with this team specifically, even without getting start or extended minutes, in my opinion, can only benefit the team uh, yep. moving forward, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the meantime, you're looking at their performances and you're you know keeping tabs on what they're doing mm-hmm. when they are getting that significant play. And for somebody like Macario, who's overseas at the moment, playing in France with Lyon or somebody like Davidson, who's always getting regular starts in NWSL or Lynn Williams, who's always getting regular starts in NWSL. We're seeing what they can do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then having these experiences uh, for them to sort of look back on and rely on will absolutely be helpful uh, down the stretch. Um, But in terms of outside of this, this current roster, looking outside of it, this 22 player squad, and then, really what's going to be another kind of quick turnaround because we got a world cup coming up in 2023. And, uh, I think there's always this, this level of assumption that this is the time to kind of, uh, do a turnaround on the squad or take a deeper dive and look into your pool of players. And I think that there's a real assumption there that that's going to happen, uh, with this team, uh, I myself am not a hundred percent sold on that. Uh, I'm not. uh, And again, I'm going to just lean back on all of the things that I already mentioned uh, because this team's yes, They're going to have to prepare for a world cup. That's going to take place in 2023, but it's in like 18 ish months, not really two years. Number one, Mm -hmm. number two, again, they're still preparing for this, another major tournament in what's an ongoing pandemic. That's another huge factor as well. Those things come into play. Um, So I'm not, to sure how much of uh how much different this squad could potentially look. Um, they'll be bigger because you know, obviously the World Cup is gonna have 23 players, and who knows if, if by the time 2023 comes around, if any rules will change towards that, maybe it'll be a little bit of a bigger squad, who knows? Um, but in the meantime, what we do hear about is this constant competitive environment that -hmm. takes place for the United States women's national team, that it is constantly a place where players are coming in to compete day in, day out, both be each other's own competition and each other's, uh, you know, support system really, and helping elevate each other's game. So as we're looking ahead a little bit, maybe let's take a look at the three different lines. Um, who would you like to maybe see get inside of some of these national team camps as the next 18 months sort of start playing themselves out? Who are you looking for on the defenders, on the midfielders, and on the forward line side of things for for head coach Flacco Andonowski to get in there and really get in the mix? Lori, I'll have you go first.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think you, you do make a really good point is – Sometimes we think we're going to see these huge overhauls, right? And and that's just not really the reality because what happens is typically you just see some people like retire and or fall out of favor or whatever. And then some new players are folded in, right? And so, yes, well, I think we'll see some players um, retire and some players be maybe um, kicking, screaming, going a little bit more than they um, off the team more than maybe they want to. I don't think it'll be this massive overhaul. Right. Um, but you know, one, one particular player that comes into mind that I'll be curious to see. Um, and this goes to a little bit of a broader thought process for myself and how this team evolves tactically um, would be an Andy Sullivan because Andy Sullivan was in major favor, gets injured right tears her ACL a couple years ago. And then is still really working her way back. And I, and I think what's interesting is watching her in the NWSL. um, We're still not seeing quite the best that I think that we can see out of um, Andy Sullivan and how that fits in and, and very much in line with like a Katarina Macario, how do their styles of play fit in with this U S women's national team or do they not right going forward. Um, And, and I'll, I'll just say this. um, Andy Sullivan is one. I think we are going to see like a Sophia Smith. I'd be curious about Alana cook coming back into the mix, right. Two players that were like the last cut from this team, Um, how they're folded in, what that looks like going forward. Um, And so those are a few players that come into mind, but it's more so, really for me less about who's coming in and how the team evolves because I think as we saw and I'll make this quick but as we saw today against Australia yes tactically we had some flexibility when it came defensively like you know we fell back into the five back great mm. all of that right we, we saw against australia at moments in the first game that they played in the last group play game where we did high press right so we have some flexibility on like what we're doing without the ball but really where i want this team to evolve is what it looks like with the ball because i don't think that's what we've seen right we we were presented with some different challenges in this tournament of teams not sitting back Um, whereas like, yes, when teams sit back in the low block, we can pounce on them. We can press, we see how we thrive. We can force teams to make mistakes, um, cough up the ball. And then we're in advantageous positions to like score goals. Right. And we're not as, um, when teams are sitting back, we're not as, um, susceptible to being scored on because there's not many numbers forward, right? So if if there's errant passes or um, unforced errors, we can get it right back, right? We have numbers around the ball. What happens when we've seen basically almost every single team outside of Canada, when teams actually press us or not afraid to build out of the back, right? And they're in much more expansive shape, which forces us to be in a more expansive shape. And we can't keep the ball. We can't we can't get um, Carly Lloyd higher or excuse me Crystal Dunn higher up the field, right? We can't get her in the position where she wants to be. Lindsey Horan doesn't have enough players around her. Julia doesn't have enough players around her. Sam Mewis doesn't have enough players around her. We're all it's disorganized. So who's going to be the one that can put the foot on the ball and we can keep possession and dictate tempo and force other teams? Um, do things that we want to, because we have the ball and we can slow the tempo down when needed, speed it up. Right. Cause right now, personally, I feel like this is my last point is we have like one tempo, which is fucking go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and we see that a lot in the NWSL and I'm not knocking that. It's just like, really the, the idea though is to go and what happens if that's not on or teams can match us and they can win the ball back. And then we're again, in expansive shape and can't get pressure, adequate pressure on the ball. And we can't win it back right away. So then, once we do, we need to keep it. And those will be the nuances I feel like that have to evolve within our team because those are we're going to be presented with a lot of different looks now that teams um, can match us in different areas um, going forward at international. Those
2: are all really valid points to bring up. And of course, like I'm asking these these questions to you guys under the uh, under the assumption that it's going to be you know. Vlad for the remainder of the way. Cause I think we're all kind of collectively in agreement where it's like he's gonna be given the opportunity. He's made the podium with this team in a bronze medal. He's gonna get the chance to to lead them in a World Cup as well. So for you, Lisa, taking all that into consideration, maybe building off of what Laurie added with some of the tactics coming into mind, who would you like to maybe see across any of the lines uh, in any upcoming future national team camps for this team?
0: I agree that Andy Sullivan is a player that if she gets consistent minutes at this international level with this national team, that her game could develop a bit more, but you're right, Laurie, she has a, a certain tactic about her that may not fit with this squad. But I think that, her, we've seen glimpses of Sullivan in the NWSL with the Washington spirit where she's been really on and she's been the dominant force in a game that the player out of 22 that stands out in the match to be the one making the change and controlling the tempo of a game. So if she can get minutes with this national team squad, I think it would be good for her. And some other players that are standing out, Sophia Smith, she was right on the bubble of this one um, of this national team And She didn't make the cut, and she went back to Portland Thorns and decided that she was going to go off a little bit, and she's been scoring goals, so I think she could provide a good, different look in the attack for the United States, and then I, I do think Alana Cook will see more minutes and see more opportunities with this team just based on how much she already has done at the international level and with this national team. Um, and then based on the rotations we saw throughout this Olympics in the back line with the defenders, uh, we saw Abby Dalkemper in, in some games and then not. And she really, I think she lost a bit of her spot in this Olympics tournaments to a player like Tierna Davidson. So now uh and Anofsky or whoever else is at the helm, but I think it will be. And it has to look at a player like Alana Cook. Um, and we even had, Casey Kruger, who was named to the twenty two roster, um, who who made it onto the bench and and for this Olympic that could see time. But I do think Alana Cook, Sophia Smith and, and Andy Sullivan are players that could be coming up the flanks. And I mean, there's another player, Emily Fox, who I really like from Racing Louisville that I've been keeping an eye on. Um, but I don't I don't know if she'll be there quite yet. Uh, is there other players that have had more of a taste at the international yeah. level than she has?
3: And and Sandra, uh, Chicago Red Stars, Mal Pugh, she's been looking yeah.
0: good. Yeah, yeah, she is. I mean, I, I think if I'm if
2: I'm looking across the lines, uh, Mal Pugh is someone I actually want to see, definitely get back uh, into the mix for these national team camps. Uh, you know, Mitch Purse, we talked a lot about her in our preview and, and as the roster was dropped and what she can provide. And uh, it would be nice to, I think, get her in there, maybe get her more as an attacking look versus splitting time kind of on the front line and, and the back line. So we'll see what Andonowski has in the plans there. And, um, you know, defensively, I think there's always, there's always opportunities there. I think, yeah, Emily Fox is someone who needs to start getting some, some time in with these national team camps, uh, to really kind of start getting more familiarized with this team and, and, and the systems that are coming, uh, into place. And center back depth is always a good thing to have. So I would, I would love to see somebody like, uh, Katie Naughton uh, called into to some of these camps and to, to get a look at. And uh, to be quite frank, I'd love to see Morgan Gutra back in these national team camps. I think she's been having an MVP type of season uh, for the Red Stars in the midfield. And I think uh, we saw a lot of trouble in the midfield during these Olympics. And uh, a lot of things have been uh, looked at in terms of uh, experience and uh, veteran leadership within those roles. And this is a player who uh, is still probably considered in the the peak of her career Mm -hmm. and uh, I think probably could have made a difference in the midfield for these Mm -hmm. Olympics. So I think if you're looking ahead to the World Cup, I think you're inviting her back into these national team camps to get another look at the midfielders in the mix well, in this one. One more so. player
0: I wanna I wanna call out just because as we're doing this we've already gone long so why not Christy Mewis? She didn't get a lot of minutes. She was at yeah. this Olympic Games though, and I think uh, giving her more time and more consistency would provide a really good look for this team.
2: Yeah, I think I think with a bigger roster um, at their disposal for the World Cup, I think uh, you know. Shoot for the stars, right? <laughs> get, get as many, get as many looks as you can. And uh, you know, I think that's that's what we're gonna have to, to close out with. United States, they made the podium, they brought it in this bronze medal match. They're coming home with a medal. They have already improved on that 2016 to put it behind it. People can put that to bed and say, hey. They're getting back to get medals at the Olympic Games. And now it's going to be on to the next phase. I mean, this is not a team that's unfamiliar with look like jumping right ahead into the next challenge. So I will not be uh, surprised once sort of this uh, NWSL season and sort of post Olympic uh, international friendly sort of kind of come to a close. What the next phase of some of these camps start looking like. So I just want to th- Thank everyone uh, for joining us during these Olympics. There is still a gold medal match to be played with Canada and Sweden. That has very recently been postponed. So that will now be kicking off at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on August the 6th. It will not be playing uh, at night on August 5th. It was all very, very quickly. The news dropping as we were actually recording this. So if you're still looking forward to a gold medal match and uh, have been in a sleep pattern where you're waking up very early, you get one more to take a look at. So uh, find out who's going to end up with that gold and silver medal if you get a chance. Um, this is going to conclude our Olympic coverage for uh, for everyone on Attacking Third. Uh, but we're going to still be around giving everybody great coverage of NWSL and other amazing women's soccer happening uh, stateside and otherwise. Uh, Lori, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone else, thank you so much for joining us and listening to us. A quick reminder to follow us on Twitter at Attacking Third. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you listen to your shows. We're also available as videos, so please subscribe to us on YouTube. Just visit youtube.com slash Attacking Third, and we will be back on Monday with another episode to recap NWSL action. For Sandra Herrera, Lisa Roman, and Lori Lindsay, this was Attacking Third.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.